All right, good evening. We're going to get started this evening. Uh, we're always trying to start on time here at Quarter Till. I want to give Seth plenty of time to lead us in worship and get into our study of Hebrews tonight. But before we do, I, I just felt very impressed uh, of the Spirit to just take really just like 60 seconds tonight to just, uh, just say a few words about what happened yesterday down in Blacksburg, Virginia, at Virginia Tech. My cousin actually went to Virginia Tech, and we were from that area originally. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to say this. You know, a lot of people, obviously, you struggle when something like that happens. What in the world's going on, and why do those things happen? I just want to try to put it in a biblical context, because all the talk radio that I was hearing today, it was all about... You know, we got to do gun control and wipe out video games and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't hear one thing about the word sin. I didn't hear one thing about total depravity. Uh, I didn't hear one biblical uh, very, very much on the subject. And I think that's where we miss it in our country is when things like this happen, you hear people in the world really groping to try to understand it. And it's because they are coming at it from a, a non-biblical no God in the picture context. And I'm just going to mention this verse and these verses, and then you can look at it and look at it a little bit more. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that passage talks about the difficult, perilous times that we're going to be living in in the last days. That word difficult or perilous in the original language is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's used in connection with the violence connected with demon possession in the Gospels. Now, here's where I'm going with that. I believe if you study that out, you will find that one of the reasons why we're going to continue to live in an ever-increasing violent society is because of the activity of the demonic realm. Now, that does not mean that I think that someone like the guy yesterday is not responsible. He is responsible. All I'm simply saying is, here's what the Bible teaches. If in my life I open up the door to Satan to work, he'll come in and work. And he'll take me as far as I'm willing to let him take me. And basically, if I open up that door in my life large enough, I'm capable of anything that Satan is capable of. And Jesus called Satan a murderer from the beginning. Has Satan literally ever murdered anybody? No, but he's murdered through people since the beginning of time. So just some things to consider, alright? Because uh, a lot of people look at what happened yesterday and they go, I don't get it. I don't understand how that could happen. And I think the Bible is pretty clear on how that kind of stuff can happen. And if somebody opens up their life, Satan will come in and take them as far as... And, and they're, they're capable of anything that Satan is capable of. So, we'll leave it at that. We're going to turn it around now because we're not here to talk about Satan tonight. We're here to worship and talk about God. Because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And even though Satan wins some battles, he doesn't win the war. He's already lost the war. Amen? Amen. Through Jesus Christ and through the resurrection of Christ, we are winners. We are more than conquerors. And we are here to sing about that tonight. And so, let's get started with our worship tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll turn it over to Seth. God, thank you so much for, Lord, the hope that we have in Christ. And for, 
Lord, the, the uh, victory that we have through Christ. Uh, John says that our faith has received for us the victory. And so, Lord, I pray that every person here feels victorious tonight because they have Christ in their life and that they feel like they are more than conquerors and that by faith they have accepted that and acknowledged that. And Lord, we want folks to come in tonight and be refreshed and be lifted up and be, Lord, just energized tonight by Your presence and by Your power so that we all leave here tonight just a little bit spiritually better off than what we did when we came tonight. Help us. Just lift our spirits, lift us up, encourage us tonight, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, guys, let's worship the Lord together tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Seth. Hey, I want to start tonight, actually, back in chapter 3, just to jump off from there. So, Hebrews chapter 3, and then we're going to come back up to Hebrews chapter 12. For this reason, the Lord has just been reminding me about the heart. Um, in fact, I was sharing in my small church uh, at 8.30 on Sunday morning about the heart because we have come, we're studying the Gospel of Mark and we came to that passage where uh, Jesus was saying that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I was sharing there where each of those words is very significant. That the heart is really the receptor of all that God wants to do in our lives. It's what we need to receive. And so when you think about the heart, you think about receptiveness. God wants to speak to us. He wants to do things in us and through us and all that. And it's going to be our heart which either is willing to receive it or whether it's going to push it away. The soul then is the expressive part of that. That's why we talk in worship about breathing in and breathing out God. Because in a sense, if my heart is right, I'm going to breathe in God in my heart and then I'm going to express the life of God back out through my soul. Whether it's through my obedience, through my worship, through my attitude, through the actions throughout the day, through my lips and what I say. I need to express God and the life I have with God and make it public, uh, just like people do when they are baptized. It's an expressiveness of their life with God. Then you have the mind, the fact that we need to worship God with our mind. Uh, we don't check our minds out when we become Christians. Uh, he wants us to use our intellect, our reasoning powers, if you will. That's why He gave us the Bible, so that we could wrestle with these things and think about them. And so we think about reflecting on God and meditating on God and thinking about God. And then finally, He wants us to love Him with our energy. That's the word strength, physical strength, energy. Uh, God wants us to have energy for Him and passion for Him and zeal for Him. So they all sort of flow together. It's a complete picture of the love we need for God. But going back to the heart, the heart is the key because that's where it all starts. That's why it's first in the list. Because if I am not willing to receive from God, then obviously I can't express anything from God because I'm not getting anything in from Him. Uh, that's why I directed you back to Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verses 8 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 3. He tells us there not to harden our hearts. In fact, throughout this passage, it really starts in chapter 3, and I'm going to take you to one other one. If you go over to chapter 4 of Hebrews, look at verse 7. Same thing is repeated. Do not harden your hearts. Three times in the space of about 20 to 25 verses, 
God, through the author of Hebrews, says to these folks who are reading this, don't harden your hearts. In other words, receive what I have for you. Keep your ears open, keep your eyes open, but more importantly, be willing to receive what I have for you. Now, go back over to Hebrews chapter 12, where we're going to pick it up tonight, and you'll see, I think, why I wanted to start there. The reason I wanted to start with being receptive is because last week, and this sort of is going to continue this week, he also wanted us to be inspired. He gave us all these Old Testament examples of people who lived by faith and trusted God and how God could work in them and through them and all of that. And so he basically says, if God could do that through them, he can do that through you and you just need to believe that he can. But you see, if we're not willing to receive that yet, then God could give us all the examples out of the Old Testament that he could possibly give us. It's not going to inspire us at all. And then the greatest example, the greatest inspiration he gave us with last week that we ended with was Jesus Christ himself. There in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12, let's just read those again together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the Old Testament saints that he talked about in Hebrews 11, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You have not resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. Again, the whole theme of the book, don't give up. Keep moving forward in spite of the opposition, obstacles, trial, persecution, suffering, whatever. Keep moving forward. How can we be inspired? Well, one of the reasons why is by looking at the Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11. But the greatest way is by just looking to Jesus. But here again, if my heart is not receptive at this point in my life, even the example of Jesus isn't going to inspire me. It's like I could read those words in Hebrews chapter 12 and I could walk away and go, "Eh, so what? That was good for Jesus, but it's not good for me. In other words, it's all about the condition of our heart. That's one of the reasons why we believe in a time of worship before we study the Word of God. A time of worship before we open up the Word of God. Because it's so important that I prepare my heart to be receptive to what God wants to say to me. Because if my heart isn't right, then all the inspirational stories of the Bible is just sort of going to fall on what we call deaf ears. It's just going to fall on my hard heart and it's going to be like that seed that Lynn talked about. Those packets of seed and and that seed's just going to bounce off. There's no fertile ground there, if you will, for that seed to really sink down and germinate and bring forth fruit. It's just going to bounce off my heart. And that's why people can come to church and come to a church like this where God is working and where the Bible is being taught, but they can leave on a Sunday and they can leave just the way they came in. Why? Because their heart wasn't ready to receive what God had for them. See? So be receptive. Be receptive. Make sure that your heart is not getting hard against God and His Word. One of the greatest things you and I can do throughout our lives is to remain what I call spiritually sensitive to God. That when God speaks, we listen and we hear and we obey and we apply and all of those things. Don't get a hard heart. 
How do I get a hard heart? It just starts with beginning to sort of discount when God says to me, once. If, if I turn God off once, then guess what? It's easier to turn Him off a second time. If I turn Him off twice, it's easier to turn Him off a third time. And eventually, if I build up a habit and pattern of just sort of tuning God out and turning Him off, my heart can begin to get harder and harder and harder. So that it's going to maybe take some major something in my life to bring me back to Him. Be receptive. Keep your heart soft. So that when God does want to inspire us with His Word, when He wants to inspire us with the Old Testament saints, when He wants to inspire us with the example of Jesus Himself, we can be inspired. Now let me just commend you all. Because on Tuesday night, I really believe that I sense when you guys leave here that, that you have been encouraged and you've been inspired by the way you leave, by the things that you share with me, by even the expression on your face. Because if you see some of your faces when you walk in here, man, <laughs> and you see how different it is when you walk out now. just see. But the cool thing about that is, what that is showing me is that you have allowed God time on Tuesday night to inspire you, to encourage you. But you could have come in here and you could have just said, bless me, I dare you. <laughs> you know. And we all know of people who claim to be Christians and they just sit soaking sour. You know. Aren't Christians supposed to be miserable? I, so I, I thought followers of Jesus Christ, right? We're, we're having fun in church, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, we're having a good time. Because there's nothing more exciting and more fun and can bring more joy than following the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. So anyway, be receptive. Be inspired. Now we come to a tough part of the book of Hebrews. It's about discipline. But I want to look at it from this aspect. And he even uses this word. Not only do we need to be receptive to keep on keeping on and be inspired, allow God to inspire us, but we need to be trained we need to be trained. He uses the concept of earthly parents, in a sense, training, disciplining, or correcting their children for good. Alright? Not in an abusive way, but in a positive way. As I've always shared with people, you don't have to teach children how to steal cookies out of the cookie jar. They do that naturally. Okay? But we have to teach our children how to do good and reward them for it and commend them for it. That's what we begin with. Notice in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm just going to read the whole passage so that you get the flow here. Alright? He says, And have you forgotten, and sometimes that's the problem, we forget, the exhortation addressed to you as sons, My son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when He corrects you. You see, the Bible teaches that just like earthly parents are supposed to correct and discipline their children, our Heavenly Father corrects and disciplines us. Now, notice, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son He accepts. Therefore, endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you do not experience discipline, something all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. In other words, here's what he's saying. Very important. 
If I know a person has just gone off into sin and there's no discipline of God in their life. Now again, I'm not their judge. I'm just looking at this through the lens of Scripture. And I'm not going to judge them in any way, but it allows me some wisdom to put something in context. If somebody goes off into a life of sin and there's no discipline of God in their life, then here's what the Bible says. Then they can claim to be a child of God, but they're not a child of God. Because all of God's children will be disciplined. They will be. That's just part of being a child of God. Because God loves us enough that, like we've said here before, He loves you just the way you are, but He also loves you too much to leave you that way. Okay? So He's going to correct us for our own good so that we become all that He created us to be. And He knows, just like an earthly parent, that there's some things out there that we might think we want to dabble in and it's only going to harm us. So if we begin to stick our you know, hand on that hot oven, He's going to say, no, don't stick your hand there. That's going to hurt you. That's the discipline of God. Verse 9, Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the Father of spirits and receive life? For they disciplined us for a little while as seemed good to them. And the idea there is even the best of earthly parents still made mistakes. Even the best of earthly parents, because we're, we're still sinful and we make mistakes. Even the best of parents make mistakes. But contrasted with God, he says, Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the Father of spirits and receive life? For they disciplined us for a little while, as seemed good to them, but He does so for our benefit that we may share His holiness. You see, again, when God disciplines in a person's life, He's not doing it to destroy them, to discourage them, to, de- to bring them to despair, He's doing it to actually benefit them and bring out what's best for them. As we've said before, Satan tempts us in order to bring out our worst. God tests us and disciplines us to bring out our best. He knows we've, we can do better and He's trying to correct that behavior. Now notice, verse 11, He makes a very important statement. One that I made to my parents all the time when I was growing up. This is painful. And the Bible says, listen, all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. But we are not to look as Christians at the actual time of discipline as that's all there is, but at what that discipline, what that correction of God is going to produce. And so notice he says, but later, after we've grown from it, It produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those, here's the word, trained by it. Trained. Be trained. Be teachable. Allow God to correct you. Don't stiffen your neck like we talked about hardening our heart. Or like I used to do. And please, I know I'm going to get a little dramatic here, but I'm just telling you, this is the way it was. I would, as a child, you know, I... I, my wife can tell you, I was just, oh my goodness. You know, I mean, not that she knew me back then, but my parents certainly told all kinds of stories. You know, I was, I was in the principal's office all the time growing up. I mean, I just, ah, oh, unbelievable. You know, I, let me just tell you a story. I, I got that Lisa's going to roll her eyes with this. Let me just tell you how Jeff Royce was. All right, this is how Jeff Royce was. One of the things we did in high school was we dissected fetal pigs. 
And uh, one day I got the idea that uh, I was going to ruin uh, my mom's supper because I knew that she was uh, having something that night. So I took all the pig snouts and put them in a, a plastic baggie and took them home. And my mom was having spaghetti and meatballs that night. And I took the, the baggie while no one was looking and I dumped them all in there and stirred them all up and stuff. And my mom was forking this thing and I, I said, Mom, I'm sorry, I, I can't let you do that. She said, do what? I said, I, I can't let you eat that. I said, it's not a meatball, it's a pig snout. I said, come on, Jeff, get out. I said, wipe the sauce off. She wiped the sauce off and of course there was these pig nostrils staring at her. So anyway, I had to take us out for dinner that night because I'd ruined dinner and stuff. So anyway, but that was later on in my life. I, you know, I always got disciplined. And I was the kind of kid, I was so dramatic. You know, so if my parents started to discipline me, I felt like I was dying. Like, oh, I'm dying. I'm not going to survive, you know. And, and that's the way some kids are. It's like you think, like, you discipline them as a parent. It's like, this is it. They're gone. You know, you've just totally, you know, scarred them for life and stuff. And you get that way. That's what he's saying here. He says, don't be like that with God. You know, don't be like, oh, God, I can't. I No, allow... God to train us, you know, don't be like those children who are, you know, sitting there and they're going through this correction and it's like, it's the end of the world. I'm never going to survive. That's what he's talking about there. That's what he means by allow God to train you. Don't be like that child who just way over the top, way overly dramatic you know, this is the end of the world. God says, no, it's not the end of the world. In fact, the reason I'm doing this for you is because it's for your benefit. And we've all been there where our parents said, this hurts me more than it does you. You know, that type of thing. Well, in a sense, God's saying the same. He's saying, look, the reason I'm doing this is for your benefit. So allow this to work in your life so that it produces the holiness and the kind of life that I'm trying to bring out in you so that you don't keep making the same mistake. Because we've all been there. Whereas a Christian, you know, something gets a hold of our life and, and we just keep going back down that same road. And what God wants to do is spare us from having to go relearn the lesson all over again. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, sometimes you have to relearn those lessons over and over again. But I also will say this, and I think you and I, we probably would agree this. The more pain that's involved on the other side of that, the less chance I'll do it again. And that's the way we all are. Our daughter right now is going through that. There's a situation in our daughter. She's 18. Oh, yeah. She's happened to live through a tough lesson. And she even came to her mom and I a few months ago and she says, I just, one of those people, I just have to learn lessons the hard way. And we went, oh man, you know. Um, and she has been a great, great daughter and all that kind of stuff. She really is. But this is just one of those where she's being a little stubborn and whatever. And um, so we just looked at each other and we said, yeah, you know what? We're going to let you learn that lesson the hard way. Because we know that if you experience some pain from going down that road and learning that lesson, you'll probably be less likely to do that same thing over again because that was painful. I don't want to have to go through that again. We've all been in situations like that. That's what he's talking about here. So, again, don't look at the discipline of God in a negative way at all. And if, listen, and here's where this is hard, and I'm just going to say this straight out and straight up. Some of you, 
unfortunately, have come from abusive backgrounds in your home life. And when you read something like this, man, you just, you just arch your back and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you just react against that. Because this begins to paint for you some very ugly pictures, maybe. That's not what we're talking about here. And that's what it's hard sometimes is to say, the only context that I can come from is my earthly mom and dad, and they didn't do it right. So when the Bible begins to compare my heavenly father with an earthly mom and dad, you've got to understand that they're comparing it with an earthly mom and dad that would be doing it the right way. And even then, though, the Bible goes on to say, even those parents that strive to do it right weren't perfect. So don't compare your earthly parents with God, but do, do compare the principle. And the principle is that God will discipline His children just like a good parent will correct and discipline their children. Again, not to hurt them, not to abuse them, not to discourage them, not to destroy them, but to benefit them and to bring out the good in them. That's what real discipline, biblical discipline, is all about. One more thing. First of all, I probably destroyed my testimony with everybody here tonight as far as the, the pig snout story, but that's all right. <clears throat> Trust me, the people all that I work with on staff, they knew that story, so, you know, and they're, I headed them up with that. One more thing. Remember at the beginning of chapter 12, we were talking about using the running metaphor. That life is a race and it's not a sprint. It's a long distance marathon. And we talked about that's why we need endurance. Because it's not just, you know, doing it over a short period of time. It's pacing myself over a long period of time to continue to hang in there and not get discouraged and not throw in the towel and not give up, but continue to move forward in spite of everything that I've got to move forward through. And sometimes when I go off on the wrong path, I've got to be willing to let God train me and get me back on the right path. But again, the cool thing is, He wants to get me on the right path. He just doesn't want me to continue to go down the wrong path to where I'm only hurting myself and hurting others. But then the other thing is true. Verse 12, where you get to the point where you need that second wind, where you've run 20 out of 26 miles in the, in the marathon... And all of a sudden, you're beginning to suck wind. And, and of course, there's that physical thing that happens where all runners go through, where their, their muscles begin to hurt because the oxygen is being deprived from their body. And the only way to get that oxygen is it now has to be sucked from their muscles. And that's why their muscles, after a period of time, begin to hurt so bad. Then there's that wall that they've got to push through. That's what he's talking about in verse 12 and 13. He's saying, be strengthened. Not only be receptive by not hardening your heart. Be inspired by the examples of the Old Testament and by Jesus Himself. Be trained and be strengthened. He says, therefore, strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees. I mean, you and I all know, and trust me, I don't exercise as much as I should. But if I went out and started running even just around the church campus, after about 50 feet, you'd see me like this, you know. (laughs) My hands would be hanging down. My, my knees would be out of shape, right? So what he's saying is, first of all, if we allow the discipline of God to work in our life and all these other things, we can become spiritually in shape. We won't be spiritually out of shape. And, and when we do have to kick in and have that second wind and go through that endurance, that reserve spiritually is going to be there. 
And he says, if it's not there, allow God to strengthen you. Don't continue to let your hands hang down and your knees to continue to buckle. Notice verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but be healed. He's simply saying again, going back to even the whole discipline thing is, if I've got a, a, a hitch in my giddy up, or if I've got, you know, something to where I'm not running properly and I continue to do that, I'm either going to wear a blister or I'm going to dislocate something or I'm going to harm myself if I don't correct the way that I, I run. So if, if I'm running awkwardly or something, it's only going to cause pain somewhere else. That's why they even tell people, you know, before you begin to exercise and run and jog, make sure one of the first things you do, obviously, is go to the doctor. And then the second thing is go out and get yourself a really comfortable pair of shoes. Because you don't want to start, you know, exercising and stuff and then start getting blisters and stuff. Because then what happens is you begin to compensate for that and then you hurt something else. So here's what he's saying. He's saying if when you and I are running the Christian life, if there's something that just continually seems like it's out of place, before you keep trying to stubbornly trudge through with that, take time to correct it. Take time to let it heal. Because if you and I continue to just press forward stubbornly while that's hurting, we're only going to hurt ourselves and we're going to only end up hurting something else. So he says, make straight paths for your feet so that you may be healed as you run and run, you know. So that's like if, if there's something that comes up in your life as you're running, take care of it. And don't just act like it's not there. Face it, deal with it, whatever, and then, then keep on running. And, and don't feel bad about that. That's the way God wants us to run. Because again, we're not looking at this as a sprint. We're looking at this as a long distance marathon. You're going to be in this race for a while. So take care of yourself. And if something, in a sense, spiritually gets dislocated in your life, take time to take care of it, get it healed, and whatever. I played sports all my life up into college. And one of the things that you learn there is that, you know, if you come back too quickly from an injury, I was a pitcher in baseball. If I, if I had an arm problem or something, and, I, you know, I wanted to pitch, and I wanted to get back in there too soon, I could end up doing permanent damage. And then I'd be out for the rest of the season. Same principle here. You know, if, if you're hurting, you know, take care of that. One of the things I share with people in counseling all the time is this advice. They may come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I've got this I'm dealing with and this I'm dealing with and this I'm dealing with. And I've got all these different things that's shooting at me at the same time. It's overwhelming. It's part of the reason why I'm here. I, I need help. And here's my advice to them. You and I as human beings can only fight one battle at a time. So what you have to do is you have to choose which one of those you're going to prioritize that you're going to give attention to and go after that. Because here's where people get discouraged. If they start to try to deal with this and that and all this at the same time, they're throwing their energy in all these different directions and none of them end up getting any better. And then they get more frustrated and they feel more defeated. What you and I have to do is if we come to a place in our life where we're dealing with two or three different things at the same time, is instead of trying to tackle all of them at once, we pick one, and I always advise people, pray about it, seek God's wisdom, see which one. Maybe there's one that's obviously the priority, one that's more urgent than the others. Pick that one, deal with it, get it healed, 
get it taken care of, and then move on to something else. That's what he's saying here. Be strengthened. Allow God to strengthen you. And be wise and, and be commonsensical about this race we call the Christian life. All right. Talk about a marathon. I don't think I took a breath in the last half hour. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yes, Mike. So what we're saying is when things are going wrong in your life, it's either discipline, but it's a good thing, or it's testing, and you can come out on the other end of testing, and that's, that can be a really good thing. So when we pray for each other as we're going through difficult times, should we be praying that the difficult times should stop? Because those are good things. Or, or should we be praying that the discipline works or that they come out on the other side of testing even stronger as Christians? That's a great question. We'll answer that next week. <laughs> Here's my answer to that. Um, I'm very transparent with God. So like when you got brain cancer, I said, God, I want Mike to be healed. But maybe in your wisdom, that's not what you want. So I'm letting the final call up to you, but I just want you to know, you know what I want. I want Mike to be healed. I think in that way, when we pray that way, I always tell people, I think it's okay to say, I want this person to be healed or whatever. But I think ultimately where the lordship of God comes into our life is where we leave it ultimately up to God and his wisdom, what he does, because he knows what's best and we don't. Going back to that, that's why one of the stories that, you know, that's really an important story is the story of the prodigal son. Because the father never stopped loving the son, but the father didn't go chasing after the son either. The father let the son experience the pain of rebellion against God because the father was wise enough to know that the pain was going to drive him back to God. And you know the story, if you know the story of the prodigal son, it was only when the prodigal son began to suffer so much that he looked up to God and goes, God, i got to come back to you. If the father would have, would have tried to circumvent the pain... If the father, like a lot of parents do, try to rescue their kids from that pain, a lot of times they do their children disservice because they're trying to, in a sense, prevent their children from, in a sense, suffering pain that's going to actually help them in the long run. Even James Dobson agrees with me on that. No, I'm just saying. I'm just teasing, just teasing. I agree with Dr. Dobson on that. He always tells parents, don't rob your children of a struggle. Because sometimes it's in that struggle that they learn the best lessons. So that's where I would say, but now here's the deal. If I know a person is in rebellion against God, I'm just praying God, usually my prayer is this, God, let their heart be open to whatever you want to do in their life. That's usually my prayer. You know, I'm not praying for any bad thing to happen. I don't want something bad to happen, but I also know this. And I've worked with it long enough and seen it in the Bible, where sometimes people have to get pretty low before they'll turn back to God and say, okay, God, I, I, I'm not doing it my way anymore. I've suffered enough. I'm doing it your way. Sort of like, yo, uncle, you know. 
Uncle God, I give in, I give up, you're right, your, your way's best, I'm coming back to you. That was the prodigal son. But the cool thing is, the father didn't go chasing after the son. The father didn't try to circumvent the pain that the son was going through because the father was wise enough to know it was that pain that was going to actually bring him back to God. I hope that answers the question. There was a hand back here. Yes. No, that, that's a great point. And, and Paul is a great example of that. Saul. Because Saul is an example of someone who really was trying to do God a service, he thought. But he was ignorant of who God was. And so when Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and turned his life around, then obviously Saul became Paul and Paul became one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. So there is a difference. Saul's heart wasn't hard against God. He just was doing it ignorantly, he said, in unbelief. And because of that, there is a difference. That's why hardness of heart is always worse than somebody who really wants to do what they know God wants them to do, but they're having a hard time applying it or, or having the, you know, the wherewithal to, to make it a, a discipline in their life. The thing, though, is that having the right heart is going to get you there eventually. You just need to keep on moving forward and not throwing in the towel and getting discouraged when you fail and just keep asking God to help you. That you know your heart is, is really right with Him and that you really want to do the right thing, but this thing has got a hold of you or something or, and, and you're just struggling with it to overcome it, but that's much better than the hard heart. The hard heart would say, I don't even have a problem. In other words, they don't even recognize the problem that's why I always tell people, Christians come to me and they're, they're like, oh, Pastor Jeff, I just I feel so awful. I'm, I'm just struggling so much. And I just look at them and I try to encourage them and say, do you realize that by you having that attitude, that's a, that's a positive? Because the people that are on dangerous ground are the people that are out there just sort of bebopping through life and just bouncing through life and letting the world take them where they want to go. And they're clueless. They're, they're just clueless. But the people who have that sensitivity, that spiritual sensitivity to go, man, I, I, I'm struggling with this. Okay, you're struggling with it, but at least you're struggling with it. You know, some people, they get to the point where they get so discouraged and they've been so defeated that they just give in to it. It's like, I can't beat this thing. That's it. I just give in to it. And I say, what a hopeless thing. And God would come into their life and say, don't ever get to that point because there's no, nothing that you and I struggle with that we should get to the point where we say, I can't, well, because we can't overcome it. But with Jesus Christ and His resurrection power, we can overcome anything that is an obstacle to what God wants us to become. Good stuff. Yes. Calloused and, yeah, and deceived. I think, again, it's that deceptiveness of sin that we talked about in the book of Hebrews where they just get to a point where they just... They don't even realize, they don't realize how they're hurting themselves. They don't realize how they're hurting other people. And, and you and I are looking at them going, man, don't, how can you not see that, you know? It's so obvious to us, and they're so blind to it. Yeah. Someone else back here. Anyone? Yes, Lisa. I think we all struggle with that, and this is a very simplistic answer. And I'll just say this, and this might not even get to the heart of where you're really coming from. But I always tell people, here's the thing. If I've got a thorn in my foot because, you know, or a cactus, one of those boogers, man, they hurt. Oh, my goodness. I just walk by them and they start, you know. Of course, on my ball, I think they think, oh, there's new, fresh stuff to get. I don't know. But those things are. And here's the thing. 
when, when a pain like that comes into my life, if I can remove it, God would say, again, use your brain, love me with all your mind, remove it. If it's within our power to remove some source of pain in our life, don't be like some people. And again, they get that mentality is it's almost like a martyred mentality. Like I got to go through pain. That makes me better. Well, again, sometimes that's true. But let that up to God whenever he brings the pain into your life, because he'll bring it in at the right measure at the right time and all of that. If I've got pain in my life and I can remove it and I can get rid of it, God would say, bravo, do that. If there's a situation like Job, where the pain that he was experiencing wasn't in his, and he couldn't do anything about it to remove it. And of course, his friends came along and said, well, the reason you're suffering so much is you're such a terrible sinner. And Job is like, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't think I'm sinning to deserve all this, which he was right. But again, God was leading all of them to teach them lessons and to build them and to strengthen them and yeah, to show, to show faith. And there are times like that. I, I just say to people, that's part of that, where we have to get to that spiritual maturity level where sometimes when it's out of our control and we're in a season of life where we just are in that experience, we've just got to ride that wave and just trust that God is going to open up that door to get us out of that situation whenever He sees fit. But until He sees fit, I again, going back to the whole discipline thing, better not scorn, better not get a bad attitude, because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes if I get a bad attitude in the midst of that thing, then that just makes it that much longer for me to learn that lesson. Or God may remove it for a while and then bring that same lesson back because he's saying, you didn't learn that lesson back here. I've got to teach you that lesson again only because you're going to make the same mistake over and over again. So again, God does it again for our benefit. But no, that's something we all you know, wrestle with and struggle with. But I just always tell people just from a simplistic viewpoint, if you can remove the pain from your life, remove it. If it's within your power to do so. If it's out of your control, then... Let God use it in your life. And and again, just like we teach here at Cornerstone, Lynn and Ron and others have taught the same thing. It might not be about me. Maybe God has allowed this pain or circumstance or whatever to come into my life in order for me to be a testimony and witness or eventually an encouragement to somebody else. As I tell people all the time, nothing we go through as a Christian is ever purposeless. In fact, nothing any human being goes through as far as God is concerned, His purpose is ever purposeless. Everything has a purpose for it. Now, we might not know all the time what that purpose is immediately. We may have to go down the road a little bit and look back. Sometimes, the Bible says, we won't know the purpose of that till we get to heaven. And then ask Him, what was the purpose for that? <laughs> I know, I've got some questions. I'm sure you do too. So, you know, uh, we've all got those questions. But again, that's where trust comes in. I've got to trust that God has my best interest at heart. That He loves me more than I can ever even imagine. He loves other people around me. So again, the bottom line is anything that God allows in my life, even a Job, He loved Job. I mean, Job and Job's family and Jobet and all those people, they're going to be in heaven one day. You know? So he loved them. But, 
yeah, there's things that go on that's beyond our comprehension. Good stuff. By the way, after tonight, four weeks, guys. Let's make these next four weeks, let's finish strong. You know, we're talking about the running of the race. We've got some of the best stuff in the book of Hebrews coming up here in chapters 12 and 13. We want to end well, so I hope most of you can hang in there with me for the next four weeks. May 15th is our last mine until we break for about two and a half months. (laughs) And then we'll pick it back up in August sometime. Exactly. God allows it, but doesn't necessarily. He's not the product of it. Yeah. And then God, in His greatness and wisdom, can use that for good and make something good come out of such yuck. But yeah, going back to even yesterday, and I talked a little bit about this at the beginning. For those of you that weren't here, I just said a few comments about the massacre in Blacksburg. But one of the things that people struggle with when something like that happens is it's always the why God thing. And I always have to point them back to what the Bible teaches, that we, we can't have it both ways. That God allowed human beings free will. And the only way to, for God to prevent things like that happening is to make us all robots and to make us all do everything that He wants us to do 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He chose a long time ago to say, in spite of what could happen, by giving human beings that are sinful a free will, I can't have it the other way. I can't make human beings a robot. Because the only thing that's going to mean anything to God in a relationship with human beings is to have a relationship with a human being who wants to have a relationship with Him. Not a human being who is forced to have a relationship with Him. That means nothing to anybody. That means nothing to us. If we knew there was somebody in our life that the only reason they were hanging around us is because they had to, oh, that's a real healthy relationship, you know. The relationships that are meaningful in our lives are the ones that we have with people because they want to be around us or we want to be around them. We choose to do that, okay? That's why God a long time ago says, in spite of the consequences, that the risk is outweighed by the reward. And the reward is giving human beings a free will, a free choice. Now, what that does mean at times, as I said earlier, is that there's some human beings, and of course we're all sinful, but there's some human beings that over time in history are going to open themselves up to the devil, to the working of Satan in their life, and they're going to be capable of doing anything that Satan is capable of. And Jesus said of Satan in John 8.44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar from the beginning. In fact, Jesus said there's no good in Satan at all. He is nothing but evil. We don't hear words like sin and evil in our world today. But when you, when you experience things like 9-11 and things like yesterday, you realize, yeah, human beings do have that capacity if they allow that to come in. And then they've got the free will to be able to go through a college campus with guns and just shoot and kill people. The great thing about our God is, even in the midst of such horror, God is going to use that to bring glory to Himself and 
He's going to use that to work in all of those people's lives that were affected and even not affected by that. In fact, I don't know how many of you are keeping up with it, but three of the students who died at Virginia Tech were Christians who were a part of Campus Crusade for Christ. One of them was an 18-year-old girl who was evidently a dynamic Christian. And her dad, when he was first contacted by the news media, the very first thing he says was, my daughter would just want all this to be to the glory of God. That's the way she would want it. And that was his response. Uh, And, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know. So, again, is it terrible? Oh my goodness, we can't even imagine. But yeah, God doesn't cause these things. Unless you go back and just say that the choice that God made was to give man a free will, but there's nobody in this room that would want God to take away our free will. (laughs) If we started tomorrow to just have to be these robots that did everything God wanted us to do, that would not be good, and we would totally not own that. We like our free will. But then when something like this happens, then we're like, well, God, and he's like, Do you want me to take away everybody's free will? I I won't do that. I can't do that. That is not my plan. So, yeah, it's a struggle. The cool thing is, this world is not my final home. We've got heaven awaiting us. And we're not going to be on this sinful, sin-ridden planet forever. We're going to be in the presence of God where there's fullness of joy and there's not going to be any more murder and death and disease, and all of that, and we're going to live in glory forever and ever with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's good news to me, too. Good news to me, too. One other thing, and then I'm going to close. We'll pick it up here next week, verse 14 and 15. And these are some of the most important verses, so, boy, I hope if you can come back uh, next week, because we're going to pick it up here, but I just want to Start out by saying this. I've talked about being receptive, being inspired, be trained, be strengthened, be careful. Because when you and I get spiritually tired, emotionally tired, and physically tired, we get sloppy. We get sloppy. And one of the areas we get sloppy in is our relationship with God. Another area we get sloppy in is our relationship with other people. That's why he says in verse 12, as you're running the race, and as you're getting that second wind and strengthening your hands and your weak knees and making straight paths for your feet, by the way, pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through Him many become defiled. And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. Be careful. When you and I get spiritually worn down and we're not staying spiritually fit and we're not being strengthened and refreshed and rejuvenated, And when we're being emotionally worn down and physically worn out, we can get sloppy. We can get sloppy in all of our relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. And he says, be careful about that. Be careful about that. Allow God to strengthen you so that your relationship with Him stays strong and so your relationship with each other stays strong. And oh, by the way, 
Verse 15, don't reject the grace of God. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10.10, By the grace of God I am what I am. And it's the grace of God that not only brings us into a relationship with God, it is the grace of God that empowers our Christian life on a daily basis. So if I push the grace of God away, sort of going back full circle to that hard heart, if God is dispensing His grace to me for me to deal with something in my life and I push it away, here's what the Bible says. Bitterness is going to come into my life. And we all know of people who are angry and bitter against God or whatever because when they had that opportunity to accept God's grace for whatever that was, they chose to shove it away. And when that happens, that bitterness can begin to take root in my life. That's why as a counselor, a lot of times I'm dealing with people who the reason that they're dealing with the stuff they're dealing with now is because they failed to deal with something properly and biblically 10, 15, 20 years ago. They got hurt. They went through pain, whatever. They shoved it. They acted like it wasn't there. They didn't want to face it. They didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't pack it properly. Maybe they just got very angry about it and they took that anger and they sunk it down deep. And it didn't show up immediately. It's like a plant. But that bitterness was planted deep inside of them. And eventually what happens is over months and years, that bitterness and that anger and all of that yuck begins to come out in all kinds of different ways. And that's why sometimes people struggle in their relationships and whatever. It goes all back to this principle. That's why it's huge. And that's why I hope you'll come back next week because we're going to talk more about this very, very important principle that we need to be careful about. You guys have been wonderful. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I, I just do pray tonight that you have encouraged us. And Lord, it, it was refreshing to be here tonight in your presence and with your people and your word. And Lord, I just, I just ask that you would just encourage these folks. Uh, they are such a blessing to me each and every week for them to come out on Tuesday night. Uh, I just pray you would bless them as only you can. Lord, may they just sense your power and your presence in their lives this coming week like never before. And I, I just pray that we would just continue to have such a great turnout on Tuesday night. Just more and more people at Cornerstone that want to study the Bible and get in and just learn about you. And, and Lord, help us just to navigate this race we call the Christian life. God, go with us. Take us all home safely tonight. And bring us all back next Tuesday once again to dive deep into your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you. You're terrific.